Good evening and welcome to this final leaders debate to vote 17, three days to go. And as so many have said, they have never seen a campaign like it. There are just 19 days to go. The two people about to take the stage tonight want power. They want to run the country on your behalf. Jacinda Ardern and Bill English faced off in their first televised debate last night. The two leaders exchanged blows on their tax, water and housing policies. Jacinda Ardern and Bill English arrived into the studio about 10 minutes before the debate started, shook hands and then settled in at their respective podiums. TV election debates. They're hyped, they get huge ratings and they're analysed to death. The beauty of the TV debate is you're exposed. Three people, hot lights, massive audience, so, so much on the line. And because they only come around every three years, there is a sort of a high wire element to it all. Anything can happen. Kia ora, I'm Alexia Russell and today on The Detail we're looking at three of the elements that make up those big political debates. The participant, the host and the referee. There's nothing like the pressure of the live leaders debate on television. Well, that's one take. It was bloody nerve-wracking, actually. RNZ investigative journalist Guyon Espinar hosted the 2011 leaders and minor parties debates for TVNZ. That was the second-term John Key, Phil Goff era. It was extremely nerve-wracking for, for me. We, we had an audience of about a million people for, for those, and you're also in front of a live audience in the studio. And, you know, this is a few years ago now, and um, I, was, I was pretty nervous about it, to be honest with people. Um, it, it's a big deal because there's a lot at stake, and there's a, a lot of um, eyes on you and there's a lot of weight of responsibility because you really do feel that, you know, this is a key moment in the election campaign and it's a key, key democratic moment and that you need to be fair and that people are going to judge you. And um, so, yeah, I, I there's a lot of pressure on you to do it, but it's uh, pretty exhilarating as well. You said that, you know, people judge you. And it's true, we're not just looking at the politicians' performance here. Everyone's looking at how the host did. Did you did you really feel that pressure? Oh, big time. And you see that pressure too, because even at that point in 2011, um, the online presence was, was very high and, and, and Twitter was, while still in its infancy, I guess, was uh, a, a big force. And you'd be trending by the end of the night and someone would be talking about your tie or whatever it was that you did or whether you were biased towards one side or, or, or the next. So, yeah, you are, you, you are going to be part of it. There's no doubt about that. And, and no matter what your style, um, you're going to be part of it because usually for those things, there's only three people in the room and you're one of them. And, you, you know, as a journalist, you're used to being impartial. You, you know, you hope that you can be as impartial as possible. But is this, you know, exacerbated in this situation? Yeah, very much so. It, it is heightened in, in that environment. And I'd have to point out it's a very different skill than interviewing. It's a very different format um, because you're genuinely trying to moderate a debate and you're trying to create... And if you ultimately want to try to get them to debate each other. I mean, the one I faced was Goff against Key. Let's go to our debating chamber now and our moderator, Guy Nesbitt. Thanks very much, Mark and Kiora, and welcome to you at home and welcome to our two party leaders, the Labour leader, Phil Goff, and the national leader, John Key. And Goff decided, because he was the underdog, to absolutely go for it. So he was tearing into John Key and John Key wouldn't look at him. 
And so I had this incredibly strange dynamic for me. I'm sitting in this studio and standing, and this is, I'll get to this because that's important too, where you actually are physically. So the first debate was a standing debate. I had Goff piling into John Key because he was the underdog. He was swinging sort of haymakers around. There are billions of dollars. Okay, well, so basically, I am, I am saying it's nonsense. I am saying it's nonsense because we will, we will, no, let me, let me respond to that. You've had a fair go. John Key was miles ahead in the polls, so was trying to just brush Goff off and he wouldn't look at him at all. So John Key's looking at me. Phil Goff is tearing into John Key, and I'm kind of going, how do I manage this traffic? And it is a bit like being a traffic cop in some ways, and, and the thing can fly out of, out of hand, because what do you do? You need exit strategies if you're moderating one of these debates. What am I going to do if? Um, because it can spiral out of control pretty quickly, because if someone decides they're not going to play by the rules, um, what are you going to do? And if someone just either keeps talking, you know, you, you have to decide, am I going to shut this down right now? And if they don't listen to you, then you're in trouble. You know, so it's um, it can be a bit like sort of managing children. Um, you know, when am I going to pull the big stick out and say, look, it's, um, this is it, guys. So you've you got to factor all that sort of stuff yeah. in, which is uh, it's pretty interesting. So you need a referee skill set more than an interview skill set. Yeah, you do. Yeah, big time. That's right. And 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 sometimes I look at um, debates, and you know, some of the people that I think are the best interviewers aren't necessarily the people you want to do the debates. And everyone goes, "Oh, why don't you give it to so and so? They're a great interviewer." As I say, it's a different skill. And I guess at the same time, you've got someone in your ear trying to encourage you to go this way or that way, or shut it down, or keep it going. Yeah, and worse than that, I think we had a um, clock, we did, I remember, we had a, a producer saying, oh, John Key has had, you know, 87 seconds less than Phil Goff time on this particular segment. I mean, obviously, we weren't going to be held to that, um, but they were they were clocking it, and you did need to try to factor that in. And that was especially problematic with the, the minor leaders' debates. From memory, we had like six of these guys I don't know what they're going to do this year. It's always a nightmare who you include, and that can even end up before the courts. And that's exactly what happened in 2005. TV3 decided uh, in preparing for the debate that their studio wasn't big enough to accommodate, I think from memory it would have been eight people. It couldn't accommodate six, so they they dropped off the bottom two polling parties, which were uh, Jim Anderton's Progressive Party and my United Future Party. That's Peter Dunn, the United Future leader who took TV3 to court when it told him he couldn't take part. I tried to chop out uh, Peter Dunn and Jim Anderton, who were both leaders of small parties at the time. And that's Mark Jennings, who was TV3's head of news at the time and through more than 20 years of political debates. Basically because these debates got so unwieldy with so many participants and, in fact, you're only giving leaders like four or five minutes um, out of the hour. So with those two in it, there would have been eight people on the podium, is that right? Yes, um, too many in my view. So I tried to stop them participating in the debate. They took me to court and they won. We weren't optimistic about our chances, but it became very clear... uh, minutes into the case that the line of defence from TV3 was, well, look, this would mean we'd have to knock up two new podiums and we haven't got room in the studio and I'm terribly sorry, something's got to give. And the judge took the view and uh, sort of kept coming back to say, but what about the expression of democratic opinion? Well, we just haven't got room. 
Well, we felt we put across a, a pretty good argument, but the judge did see it as very much their democratic right and very important for these smaller parties to be included in the debates. And, of course, what we did was squeeze in a couple of extra podiums right on the end. I remember that night because it was at Auckland Grammar uh, Theatre, and I went up to Peter Dunn and Jim Anderton and shook their hands and said, no hard feelings. Um, Anderton was fine. Uh, Peter, um, yeah, he, he wasn't that impressed by the whole thing. It was quite a, a landmark ruling from the judge, uh, one that's never been challenged, interestingly enough, nor has it been overturned. It just really came back, I think, to how the judge saw the democratic process. And I think what it illustrates is how important these debates are under our current MMP system. It's extremely important. Um, I know, for instance, I was stunned to discover the following morning that between the end of the debate and the start of business the following morning, there'd been over 80,000 visits to our website. That's the sort of thing you just dream might hope during the course of a campaign, let alone happening in a few hours. Uh, And just the reaction you get from people, uh, the numbers who watch are amazing. The day after that first debate, I remember flying to Nelson, I think it was, and as the plane came into the terminal at Nelson, the captain came out into the front of the plane, told the passengers that I was on board and gave me a round of applause. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's quite extraordinary stuff, whereas you know, most of the rest of the time and during an election campaign, if you're a small party, you're just hoping someone notices you. Although, strangely, the smaller parties really are pushed to the sidelines now as they are really seen as more of a presidential-style debate. Now, how has that evolved? Is it because of MMP or is it the personalities involved? Yeah, I think it's um, more to do with the big parties still really wanting to be dominant um, in these races. And the incumbent, particularly the Prime Minister, doesn't really want to debate. The Prime Ministers want to do as little of this as possible because it reduces the risk for them. So they won't debate with the minor parties. Straight away then, the leader of the opposition, who doesn't want to be diminished in everybody's eyes, goes, well, I won't debate with the minor parties either. So you end up with a leaders' debate involving the two leaders and then a minority party debate. I think this is really disappointing, actually, um, but that's what's transpired. And in these cases, the politicians actually hold the power pretty much. Why is that? Well, if, um, if the Prime Minister refuses to do something, are you going to empty chair the Prime Minister and carry on the debate without them? It'll be a ratings flop. So in the end, you go with what they want. So the Prime Minister really has that much power? Yeah, I think in this situation they do wield the power, unfortunately. And do you think this year it's the same thing, that Jacinda Ardern will not really want to be, they should be dragged reluctantly to the podium? Yes, I I pretty much think that will be the case. I think from what we can see so far, she will do uh, two debates on TVNZ and one on TV3, so we'll have a total of three debates, and that will be it. The minor party debates will take place without the leader of the National Party or the leader of the Labour Party. Okay, well, let's talk about the people that you've encountered during these debates because you've you know you've been there through Clark Key, Peters, uh, Bill English. Who yeah. who's been the most sort of focused and zoned in of those people? They all take it very very seriously, and they all take the day off campaigning to prepare, and their staffs are heavily involved in the preparation 
days ahead uh, of the actual debate. I always found Helen Clark to be very much in the zone when she arrived at, at TV3, for instance. She's, you greeted her, but she almost looked past you. It wasn't because she was being rude in any way. She was just in the zone. And when she arrived, she wanted to go straight to her own room, continue the preparation, and not really engage. Kind of that laser focus sort of thing. Yes, very focused. Um, John Key was another interesting one, a very relaxed, affable person normally, but slightly on edge when it came to the debate. Um, not perhaps as acutely focused as Clark, but he he didn't really want to engage either. Was that because he would be sort of out of his comfort zone? or I think it's just because they realise how much is riding on their performance that night and they do not want to let down... Uh, their party or their colleagues, and and the nerves and adrenaline is 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 racing through them. What was it like um, with Winston Peters coming into the studio? Well, Winston is a different kettle of fish. Totally, um, he would always be late. Uh, he'd always be late into makeup. Almost think it was a deliberate strategy on his part to slightly unnerve the other participants in the debate. Um, he would often sort of argue around the coin toss and how that was taking place, where his position on the, the podium was, who was speaking first, last, etc. Um, maybe it was just Winston, but, yeah, you, he, he certainly was a different kind of politician in that sense. You know, the loveliest was Jeanette Fitzsimons, who was always totally unruffled and didn't matter what happened. I remember also one debate we had, Turiana Turia uh, of the Maori Party, but she simply could not cope uh, with the debate and they switched her out at halftime with Peter Sharples, I think. And, um, yes, just debating was just not her thing. I, I have a great deal of sympathy for them because it is very hard. It's easy to make a mistake. They've got to also look calm, authoritative, show a little bit of humour as well. It's a really tough gig, this one. And the cameras must make that so much harder. Yes, um, because they're also trying to judge whether they look directly down the camera and engage with the audience or whether they're engaging with the host as well, whether they are looking at and referring to the other politicians uh, on the stage with them. Yeah. Do they get do they get tips on that from you? Uh, not the the main thing I think um, is experience for them. And once they've done one, and and Adern will have some advantage this time round. She she's been through it before. She did pretty well uh, last time round. So I think she will be uh, very comfortable going into these debates. Judith Collins, I think will be a bit nervous because Collins will have to show a degree of warmth and empathy, but at the same time, she'll need to try and niggle and upset Adern. Um, So she's going to be on a tightrope, I think. How tricky is it to choose just the right host? I mean, you know, you might have one who's nailed their political colours to the mast in another sphere. You know, we had that with Hosking last election, didn't we, where people signed a petition 
A lot of people, well, they've signed a petition to stop the HOSC uh, from being the adjudicator. In fact, 76,000 people have signed this and it's going to be passed on to TVNZ's head of news, John Gillespie, today. I am eternally grateful to those people. It was a faux poll, of course. It was an online poll. It was open to sabotage and rot. In fact, I signed it. I sign all petitions against me. But in the end, he turned out to be straight down the line. How crucial is that? I don't think it is... Look, I think the parties uh, try to take um, advantage, perhaps, of this line that, say, Hoskins is right-wing, Campbell is left-wing, etc. It's actually bunkum. These are professionals. They know how to do a debate. The only danger, I think, was that perhaps Hosking perhaps almost overcompensated and was a bit hard on the right-wing candidate, Bill English, uh, last year. It's just a big theatre moment, isn't it? You've got, it's combative, it's interesting, and I think that's why a lot of people tune in. I hope, I hope they do. It's a, it's a fascinating thing to watch, and that all leads to, to the pressure on the person who, um, who's moderating it. So how much of it are you an actor on a stage? The first one I did, I was standing, and there was so much adrenaline that I could barely walk away at the end of it, like physically. It was bizarre. It must be a fight or flight thing. But we were standing in that first one, and that led to a far more aggressive debate. So we did the first one standing at podiums, and then we did the final one sitting down, and I had a lot more fun with that. Maybe it was because it was um, closer to the election, but just the, the physical thing matters. And sitting down, the vibe was much different. It was more relaxed. There was more humour. And I think that's an underrated um, component um, that, that, that moderators can use because it, it does work and it has value, I think. Um, but it was interesting how different the dynamic was even between those two things. So that, it's all stuff you've got to figure out. And do you think that what happens in front of those cameras in this vital moment does influence the result of the election? Yeah, I think I think it can do, um, especially in a, in a tight race. And I think some people, you, you can look at election studies on this and some people say it's 20, 30% or whatever making up their minds in those last few weeks. Um, so I think particularly if someone does very well or very badly, it can. And look, look at Peter Dunn in the famous uh, worm debate. I mean, there have been some minor party leader debates where um, Peter Dunn was seen to have been the Mr. Common Sense and, and, and very sensible, and there seemed no doubt at all that his polling rocketed up a, a, as a result of that. So they can. They can have a real impact, um, especially if someone um, does very well or, or, or crashes and burns. 100 undecided voters rated the eight leaders' answers, the worm plotting their every response. I think the worm trivialises politics, no doubt about that. It was the least well-known leader who ended up the crowd favourite, United Futures' Peter Dunn. It's given us a huge boost and that's been great. I figured I wouldn't get much opportunity and what opportunity I did have, I had to try and hammer one or two key messages because I thought that would be my only chance. Uh, all sorts of people gave me all sorts of advice about what sorts of words the worm would like and what sorts of words the worm wouldn't like and all this sort of thing. And it was all too confusing. So in the end, I, I decided to talk about, I think, families and common sense as my two themes. And it worked. And the really interesting thing to me was I found out some considerable time afterwards, a couple of years or so afterwards, when I saw a breakdown 
of time allocated in that debate. The debate was a 90-minute one. My total contribution, that wasn't my sole contribution, but my total contribution over the course of the debate was just over four minutes. Well, and you made a huge impression during that time. Yeah, but I think it makes the point that, that these things are short and sharp. Mm. You know, great long speeches and, and things aren't going to cut the mustard there. You need to be short and to the point. And I suppose the only thing I, I did take aboard from all the advice I received was be positive. And what about the behaviour during those debates? Is it important to obey the rules, not cut in on other people? Does that sort of backfire on you? It depends. I think sometimes if you don't cut in, you don't get a look in because of the way the debate goes. You've got to pick your moment. On the other hand, if you're butting in all the time, people do take umbrage at that. If there's a big gap between the two parties, National and Labour, then the debates are not so crucial. If that gap was to close, then the debates will become very crucial. Uh, in terms of the TV networks, they're very important for them because they invest a huge amount in these debates. Uh, there's a lot of resource, a lot of money, uh, and it's their showcase um, leading up to election night, which is a very crucial night in, in the overall ratings. And these debates need to rate. Uh, why it's important to win or do well is, I think, really its credibility. If you're done over in a debate or you don't come across well or you come across looking sullen and grumpy or as though you'd rather be somewhere else, people take a view from that. So you do need to be uh, warm, you need to be engaged. It uh, doesn't hurt to laugh at some of the other people's humorous responses. Uh, you know, you're not just sort of a machine that's being switched on and off as, 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 the, as the need be. Yeah. But you've got to be too careful not to overplay that hand. You don't want to look like some sort of laughing ninny all the time. The first TV debate of the 2020 election will now be held on September the 22nd, thanks to the shifted polling date, and it will be moderated by John Campbell. That's it for today. I'm Alexia Russell. The details brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, leave us a rating so other people can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell. And thanks to Peter Dunn, Mark Jennings and Guy Nespinner. Mata wa. Mata wa.